death. Let me read to you the first two verses of Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. Let's ask God to help us. Father, will you show us our Saviour, your Son, this morning? Will you impress truth upon our souls in this hour? Will you set before us Christ as a propitiation? Lord, teach us, teach us ever more deeply the wonders of your love in Christ, for we ask it in his name. Amen. This distressed man cries out. There's a sense of almost desperation, holy desperation, we might say, in his words. The prayer begins with an eruption of need. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. You've almost got a man who's if, if I can put it this way, he's taking God in his hands and saying, you have to listen to me. You've got to hear what I have to say. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness. This is what he's clinging to in God. Oh Lord, you are faithful and you are righteous. You are just Act now in accordance with your faithfulness and deal in accordance with your righteousness. And I wonder if there's almost a sense of shock at what he's just heard coming out of his own mouth. Deal in your faithfulness and in your righteousness. Act in accordance with who you are and what you have said. Show yourself supremely just and holy and I wonder if on one level it's almost as if he stops and says but oh Lord what if you should deal with me in that way you'll sometimes hear people who are looking around the world saying why doesn't God do something that's not far from what this man cries. Lord, why won't you do something? He talks about the persecutions that he suffers. He talks about his life crushed to the ground. He talks about his overwhelmed spirit and his distressed heart. He thinks he's sinking down into the pit. His enemies are all about him. Lord God, why don't you do something right? Why don't you act in righteousness? Why don't you show your holiness? Forgetting that if God dealt with us in righteousness, then we are worthy only of condemnation. I think there's something Job-like here. As we've been reading through Job in the evenings, I think we're coming to verse 10 or 11, you've begun to hear Job wrestling with this same tension in his own experience. Oh God, you are just and I want you to be just. But under your justice, I'm condemned. Who who can speak to you, oh God? Who can deal with a just God when his heart is so full of sin? I wonder if there are also echoes here. The ultimate reality of this, of our Lord in Gethsemane, 
as the sins of his people are being put to his account. And in his perfect humanity, he feels the weight of man's sin and the wrath of God looming toward him. Do not enter into judgment with your servant. O Lord, if it is possible, my Father, let this cup pass from me. We don't know all the details that lie behind this psalm, but it is remarkable how very rapidly the troubles without become a concern with the terrors within. How will you stand before the God that you have just invoked, David? Lord, deal righteously, deal faithfully. But what does that mean for me? Do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. David will go on seeking the faithfulness and the righteousness of God. But he also recognises that strict justice will God to deal with him in that way. Apart from mercy, outside of grace, that he is a man who is not righteous in the eyes of God. And so he brings a request. And so he gives a reason for his request. And we need to ask, where are the request and the reason resolved or reconciled? The request is very simple and straightforward. Do not enter into judgment with your servant. Now I want you to remember that it's a servant of God who is speaking in this way. This is somebody who is devoted to his Lord. This is someone who is bound to God. If you were living in the New Testament era, we would call this man a Christian. He, he feels himself, uh, this is, he is in right relationship with the Lord, but still accountable to him. And there's a, a concern then. And I think it's worthwhile remembering that there are things that David sees dimly, that we see more clearly, that there is a fear here. There's a consciousness of sin that makes this man tremble lest God should dispense a righteous judgment against him. He is asking in effect, oh God, do not deal with me as my sins deserve. And that's a perfectly appropriate prayer in some levels for any true child of God. We know that our sin has been put away, but we are conscious of its reality. Oh Lord, do not enter into judgment with me. Perhaps we, we sometimes think, and again, it's not wrong to do so. Where would I be and what would my condition be if it were not for Jesus Christ? Oh Lord, if these sins were upon me, if these transgressions clung to me, if this iniquity had not been put from me, oh God, where would I be? How low in this life and what fear for the life which is to come. In Psalm 130 and verse 3, there's the same sense of a man as he thinks about the faithfulness and righteousness of his holy God. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? If you contemplated that, if the God with whom you and I have to do should take account of my iniquities and yours, where would we be? Oh Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servant. 
Now, this is the God he desires to please. This is the God whose servant he is. But I wonder if David's confidence in his relationship to God, far from diminishing his sense of his sin, only increases and enhances it. Oh God, if I am yours, if I am your servant, if I am your man, your woman, if I am devoted to you, if I am bound to you, if it is all my desire to please you, then, oh God, what are these sins in my life? How can I call myself a servant of God? Why, as a servant of the Most High, do I find these iniquities, these transgressions, bubbling up from within my soul? My friends, if we're Christians, our sins don't become less. In one sense, they become even more remarkably vile because they are against the God of our salvation. be one thing if you were walking down the street and an enemy of yours threw something at you and hit you how much more distressing it would be if your own children were amongst the gang of those who were lobbing bricks and stones see the nature of the relationship would make the transgression all the more distressing and painful you can turn it the other way around if a servant of God feels like this about his sins, what about those of you who do not serve him? If this is how somebody who knows God feels about sin, why are some of you here not trembling because God is marking your iniquities? The Holy One of Israel sees these things. This is not an improper fear in its proper place. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Do not enter into judgment with your servant. Do you ever feel the force of this? Does God, in his mercy, ever give you perhaps a fresh sense of your sins? Perhaps it's something you've not seen before. And now... Under the preaching of God's word or the reading of the scriptures, perhaps some book dealing with various aspects of holiness and godliness, the Lord has peeled back some area of your life and shining his light into some previously dark corner. You see all the muck and the filth and the ugliness. You were blind to it before, now you see it. Oh God, do not enter into judgment with your servant. Or it could be a more general sense. You, you've, you've enjoyed something of, of favour from the Lord. You, you've known his, his smile. You've enjoyed the operations of his spirit. You've drawn closer to the light, as it were. And as you come into the light, what do you see? Just how filthy you are. What was the righteously instinctive response of those who saw the glory of the Lord how did Ezekiel feel when he saw the glory of the Lord how did Isaiah respond when he saw the Lord high and lifted up how did John respond the apostle on the Isle of Patmos when the glory of the risen Christ was made known to him these men fell on their faces and cried out for forgiveness of their sins the godliest men and women Perhaps are the ones who feel their sins all the more.
do not enter into judgment with your servant. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever trembled before the holy God of Israel? Have you ever discerned enough of his glory that you have realised just how fearful a hell your sins deserve? If you have, do not enter into judgment. Even as Christians, when we see the glory of God, perhaps when we see the sufferings of Jesus Christ, that's what sin deserves. That's the punishment that God should mete out upon every transgressor. Do not enter into judgment. I cannot stand. I cannot bear. Why should you cry like this? What's the reason the child of God gives? For in your sight no one living is righteous. There's a, a universalism here. Now his, his experience, he's been taken up with the wickedness of the wicked. His particular fear and concern has been the, the assaults of his enemies. He can see the unrighteousness all around him. When he thinks about the faithfulness and righteousness of God, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. Now he's pointing at himself. The problem isn't out there somewhere. The problem is in here. The problem is in my heart and yours. This is the cause. This is why he is so distressed. And the language could be translated. No one can be justified before you. Some of the older translations use that language. No one can be justified before you. Lord, don't judge me as my sins deserve because no one can be declared righteous in your sight. Again, it sounds quite a lot like Job, does it not? Job chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. You feel the pressure. You feel the distress. Lord, if I am a sinner, how is it possible that you should declare me to be righteous in your sight? Lord, don't deal with me as my sins deserve because the sin of my heart means that I cannot stand before you. Now, two things are coming into contact in this man of God's experience that are making him feel like this. The eye of God and the life of men. The eye of God in your sight. No one living is righteous. The prophet Habakkuk talks about God as the Holy One who is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity and cannot look upon sin. There's a holy revulsion in God. Sin grieves, sin angers, sin distresses God because it is sin and he alone is the pure and perfect and holy one. And then in Hebrews in chapter 4, perhaps you know this language a little better. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Again, this is the experience. The word of God cuts. The word of God divides. The word of God makes these divinely sharp distinctions so that my excuses are taken out of the way and my complaints are removed so that my understanding is sharpened so that I can see where I have fallen short of his glory. And this word of God lays me bare before the eye of God. Everything I am is seen to the very depths by the searching flaming eye of the Almighty. And this man is, is putting himself now before the gaze of God, the all-holy, the almighty one. And he's saying, now I feel something of your penetrating gaze. Now I am aware of your eye upon me. And as you look over the whole of my life, oh God, it's together smeared and messed and foul. There's no part of it that isn't in some way besmirched with the dirt of my sin. And what about my inner man? Sometimes people will tick off the Ten Commandments, won't they? Or, well, I haven't done this and I haven't done it. I'm no murderer. I'm no adulterer. I'm no thief. I haven't got... I'm not... And it's... Do you understand the spirituality of the law? Do you grasp that your hatred has been murder? That your lust has been adultery? That your sinful desires are as if you reached out your hand and took what was not yours? That your neglect of God has been a blasphemy against him? That your casual speech has diminished God before men and that you are accountable? Oh, brothers and sisters, when we understand the way the Lord deals with us, this is what we feel God has seen. Not only what I've done in the flesh, but what I've desired in my soul. And if I'd lived like a monk, if I'd, if I'd lived like a, a modern day saint, then the very desires and thoughts and intents of my heart would be enough to damn me to the lowest pit in hell. My whole life is dirty. My soul is foul. My best efforts are utterly imperfect. You thought of that? At your best, you cannot come near to God. At your imagined cleanest, when you've polished yourself up, tidied yourself up. Your righteousnesses, says Isaiah, they are like filthy rags. If you don't believe it and feel it yet, perhaps you could ask yourself this. Would you like to be obliged to tell me everything that you have felt and thought over the last week? You boys and girls, would you like to sit down with dad or mum and tell them everything that's gone through your heart? 
you adults, to anybody here that you'd be happy to say, yep, let me, as it were, run the reel of my soul in front of you. I don't think there's a one of us that would say we would want any other creature to know what goes through our souls in the space even of a week. My friends, why are we not remotely bothered at the thought that God sees all? My life is laid before him. The eye of God is in contact with the life of man. And so says the servant of God, in your sight no man living is righteous. The Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 14. We'll read it this evening. It would be well to read it in the light of what we're thinking about this morning. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. They are, there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men. God has his eye upon this congregation this morning to see if there are any who understand who seek God. Any natural instinct for holiness? Any appetite for his glory outside of his operations? They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Some people don't like the idea of God's eye upon them. Why is he looking at me? Why is he judging me? My friends, it's not a vindictive gaze. It's a pure and penetrating one. It is the, the knowledge of the all-knowing. God isn't looking to find a problem that he can deal with. God simply sees all the sins that there are in our lives. It's, it is, if you like, a divine accuracy. It's the holy comprehension of the holy God whose eye penetrates everything, discerning what the very thoughts and intents of the heart. And you see, for the psalmist, this isn't theoretical and impersonal. This isn't a bit of a lecture about the omniscience of the God of the Bible. This is the cry of a man who's dealing with the living and true God. In your sight, no one living. That includes me. That's what he's saying. In your sight, no one living is righteous. This is individual. This is immediate. Oh God, I need your faithfulness and I need your righteousness. But what if you should deal so with me? What if your righteousness should come against me? What if your sword should fall upon me? What if you should mark my iniquities and not just the iniquities of others? For you, O oh God, see my sin. And here I have been demanding faithfulness and righteousness. What of me? What of you? Where can you go from here? What's the resolution of these things? If you're asking, Lord, do not enter into judgment, 
What are you actually pleading for? Lord God, I cannot, yes, I heard it, good. Lord, I cannot stand against your justice. Lord, will you show me mercy? Not will you stop being just, but Lord God, is there not some way that you might not enter into judgment with me? For in your sight, no one living is righteous. Lord, show your righteousness, but be faithful to your promises of mercy as well as of judgment. You have promised to be gracious to those who call upon you. You have promised to do good to those who seek you. So this is the conundrum. This is the puzzle. This is the difficulty. How can I ask a righteous God to deal righteously and yet not enter into judgment with his servant? Do you feel the tension of that? How can I ask God to be everything that he is? Knowing that if God should deal with me in strict justice, I too must be damned. What does it mean to ask God not to enter into judgment, but still to be just? For God to deal with sin, but to put away my sin. For God to take of the count of the fact that I am not righteous, but that I desire him to be righteous toward me. How can God not condemn a sinner? How can God resolve this puzzle? And my friends, the only answer is through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And this is why we need to understand the privilege that we have. Because for a man like David, a man like Job, there is a sense of sacrifice needed. But we know who that sacrifice is. Now, listen to what the Apostle John says. Because John is going to use language that I think is pretty much precisely parallel to the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 143 and verse 2. Lord, show your faithfulness and your righteousness. Here is John the Apostle. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. To do what? To forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, God has made a way. Back to Romans chapter 3. God himself has made a way in which he can be just and a justifier. Here's this child of God and he's wrestling and he's distressed. Oh God, do not enter into judgment with your servant. I feel my sins. I recognize your eye upon me. And I know that in me there is no good thing that dwells. Therefore, oh God, be faithful and be just, but deliver me. Have mercy upon me. Perhaps there's a sense in which in the depth of his distresses he barely knows what he's asking for and doesn't understand how that might work. You and I know God has set forth his son as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. When we come to Calvary we are not asking God to be unjust we are asking God to be as just as he could possibly be. That God will show himself faithful and just in dealing with sinners who are relying upon Jesus Christ 
for their salvation. This is the Apostle Paul crying out in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 that there is no righteousness from the law. I cannot provide a righteousness. I cannot make atonement for my sin. In your sight, O God, no man living is righteous. I cannot do what I am asking you to do. Oh God, I'm pleading with you. Do not judge me as my sins deserve. I know that I am a wretch. I know that I am a sinner. In effect, you're saying, oh God, find an answer for me. Help me. Forgive me. Deliver me. Turn your wrath away from me. That is the very language of propitiation, my friends. Turn your wrath away from me. How? How can God be just and still justify the ungodly? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you notice the way this psalm progresses? Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails, verse 7. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Deliver me, O Lord, in you I take shelter. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. This is stunning. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Now again, I'm not trying to trace everything that goes through this man's soul in the course of this experience and the course of this psalm. But do you not find it remarkable that the righteousness which terrified him at the front end is his confidence at the back end. Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm relying upon you. I'm calling out to you. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. But you are righteous, and you are faithful. O oh Lord, in your faithfulness, and in your righteousness, forgive me, cover me, provide for me. That the very righteousness which I feared as a sword that would fall upon me might be the very shield that I need to protect me. Bring me, O oh God, in faithfulness and righteousness, not to your judgment seat, but to your mercy seat. My friends, if you think you'll find peace at Sinai, you will always be distressed. I'm not good enough, says the soul at the foot of the mountain of the law. And it's right. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. But if you think you'll find peace and joy by heading to the mountain of Sinai, you'll only ever find grief and woe. Lead me not to Sinai, 
lead me to Calvary. Bring me to the place where I see my sin loaded on another man. Bring me to the place where I see the wrath that I deserve poured out on the head of my substitute. Bring me to the place of the skull where I see Jesus of Nazareth suffering and dying in the place of his people. God setting forth his son. Turning away wrath in the shedding of his blood. That God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This psalmist didn't know his name. But you and I do. This man had not seen all the fullness of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it has been made known to us. That's why when we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to hear what it is saying to us again. When you see the bread broken that speaks of the body of our Saviour as it hangs on the cross, when you see the wine poured out as it declares the blood of Jesus that was shed for our transgressions, we are being told again, we are enjoying again the fact that God has not entered into judgment with us, but he has entered into judgment with Christ for us. He has taken our place and our sin is put away. It is declaring to us that your unrighteousness has been put to the account of the Lamb of God and that his righteousness has been transferred to you. And now God will not enter into judgment with his servant because he entered into judgment with his servant on our behalf. That God, because Christ has taken our place, suffered and died for the sake of his people, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree, that there God can be just and the justifier of whoever puts faith in Jesus Christ. So that, like the psalmist, we can pray this with full understanding and confidence. Lord, in your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness, and do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. And because I see Christ and him crucified, your faithfulness is glorious to me. And your righteousness is precious to my soul. Justice God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand. And then again at mine.
in my place. Condemned he stood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. My friends, have you found the resolution? Have you found wrath and mercy reconciled? Have you found righteousness and peace kissing? It is only in Christ at Calvary that these things become to us not a terror but a joy. That we are now able to say with the psalmist, for your righteousness sake bring my soul out of trouble. And may I plead with anybody here who has never yet prayed like that to go to God this moment and for Jesus' sake to plead with him. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. No sinner can go to God and say, I think I've sorted myself out. No sinner can go to God and say, I've tidied myself up. No sinner can go to God and offer the works of the law and expect to have their transgressions removed and God to reward them in accordance with the righteousness that they need in order to enter into the glory to come. But a sinner can go. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And oh God, because you're righteous, because you're faithful, Forgive me. Do not enter into judgment with me. For in your sight no one living is righteous. But for his sake and for your glory, blot out my transgressions. Because if a man, a woman, a boy or a girl should confess their sins, oh God, you are faithful and just to put away their sins, forgiving them, receiving them, accepting them in the beloved for your son Jesus' sake.